You're listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org. Today's scripture comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 44 through 53, in the Common English Bible. Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He said to them, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and a change of heart and life for the forgiveness of sins must be preached in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are the witnesses of these things. Look, I'm sending to you what my father promised, but you are to stay in the city until you have been furnished with the heavenly power. He led them out as far as Bethany, where he lifted his hands and blessed them. As he blessed them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. They worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem, overwhelmed with joy, and they were continuously in the temple praising God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. Please join me in an attitude of prayer. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. How many of you have seen the movie The Wizard of Oz? Has anybody not seen The Wizard of Oz? Anyone brave enough? Oh, Bill, you need to watch it when you get home. Um, Anybody else brave enough to raise a hand? Not after I called out poor Bill. Okay. Uh, Well, you know the film, 1939, Judy Garland, And even if you haven't seen the movie, you probably are familiar with this story. Dorothy and her little dog Toto, they get whisked off to the magical land of Oz, and they spend most of their time in the movie trying to get home. Dorothy gets sent on a journey to go find the wizard in the Emerald City, and along the way she meets the scarecrow and the tin man and the lion, and they become friends, and they help her along the way, and they all kind of help each other as they're journeying to see the wizard. And they come up against some challenges. There are flying monkeys and the wicked witch is there trying to throw fire at people and eventually Dorothy does find her way back to her farm in Kansas. There's something a little bit strange about the movie though that I didn't realize when I was a kid. And the strange thing to me watching it as an adult is the role of Glinda the Good Witch. You remember her? She descends from this bubble in this really elegant, uh, elaborate pink dress, and she's got a crown, and she's got a wand, and uh, if you've seen the movie, you know she's a force for good throughout the movie, kind of intervening at different times. And after Dorothy's house lands in Oz, Glinda is the one who says, well, you need to go find the wizard, and uh, she defends Dorothy at times throughout the movie. But in that scene in Munchkinland, she says, okay, you need to find the wizard, you need to follow the yellow brick road. And then she disappears. She goes up in this bubble. She literally ascends into the air. And I'm thinking to myself, why would she leave when things are about to get interesting? 
And it's the same kind of question that I ask about Jesus when I read this passage from Scripture. Why ascend? Why leave people when the journey is just beginning? What in the world is going on here? Almost two months ago, we celebrated Easter, and we all know the story of Easter, the story of Christ's resurrection. Jesus was crucified, he was dead for three days, and then he was raised from the dead. And today our scripture is about Jesus' ascension, his return into heaven. Scripture tells us that after the resurrection, Jesus appears to his disciples for a period of 40 days, and strange things happen during this time. Do you remember some of those post-resurrection stories? Jesus suddenly appears in locked rooms, and he walks unrecognized among them until he finally breaks bread and their eyes are opened. And he eats fish, and he eats bread, and he shows them the scars that he still carries from the crucifixion. It's this very strange in-between time. And during the whole period of time that he's back after the resurrection, he continues to teach about God's vision for a better world. The kingdom of God is what we call it. He continues to tell them, this is the kind of life you need to live. This is the kind of work that you need to do. And then in his final words on earth, Jesus tells his friends, they're about to receive a gift, the power of the Holy Spirit. Now Luke's gospel that we heard from this morning, it's a little bit cryptic. He says, I'm sending, you, uh, I'm sending to you what my father promised. In the book of Acts, it's more direct. I'm sending you the power of the Holy Spirit. Just as his friends, his disciples, have gotten used to having him back after his very dramatic death, he's gone. He ascends, he returns to heaven, he disappears into the clouds. It's almost as dramatic as his birth story, even though we talk about it far less than we talk about the Christmas story. And Christians around the world, on this weekend, this very weekend, are celebrating this story of the ascension, Jesus' return into heaven. And the next part of the story will be Pentecost, when the people do, in fact, receive the Holy Spirit. It's generally regarded as a celebratory passage, the ascension passage, And yet, to me, the scripture also feels a little bit sad. The disciples had just lost their teacher and their friend to death. And they're only starting to wrap their minds around the fact that he's back, that the resurrection is real, that all the things that he'd promised really have come to pass, really will come to pass. And then... After he's ascended up into heaven, they continue to stare up into the sky. In fact, Acts tells us that uh, men arrive and say, well, why are you still staring up at the clouds? He's not coming back again. Well, Scripture promises he will come back again someday, but not in that very moment when they're still staring upwards. And to me, it conjures up the image of staring down a street after you've sent a loved one away after a, a great time together. The way you might look after a child when they're driving away to college for the first time, or you might, you know, continue to wave long after somebody is outside of your eyesight. Have you ever experienced one of those moments? I think that's what the disciples felt like staring there, standing there staring up. Like, is he, is he really gone? And every time I read the Ascension story, I get up, I get hung up on the same question, which is, why did he choose to leave? Why ascend after coming back? Like, God, where did you go? What, what is happening in this story? 
And I understand that Jesus was returning to God in this passage, which he had told them all along he would do. So there's that piece of it. But his followers were about to go through a very rough patch. We know from the book of Acts that they were imprisoned and they were persecuted and some of them were even killed for their beliefs, for professing Jesus. And Jesus would have known that difficult things were ahead. And so why would the Son of God not stick around? Why would he not physically hold their hand through these things? And I sometimes struggle to get my head wrapped around this particular passage, this particular story. And it's fundamentally the same question that we ask when bad things happen. We ask, where did you go, God? Where are you? It feels like that moment in the story of Lazarus when Martha confronts Jesus and says, you know, if only you'd been here, Lord, my brother wouldn't have had to die. We often talk about God as a father or sometimes a mother, definitely a parent. Well, parents equip and parents teach and parents want what's best for their kids. And ultimately at a certain stage, parents also have to let their kids make their own choices and have their own failures and claim their own successes. Parents have to put their kids on a bus to go to school Parents have to let their kids go over to a friend's house at some point. And a parent never wants a bad thing to happen to their child. And yet, no parent can entirely control what some other child or some other adult will do. And it's the same with God. God never wants bad things for us. And yet, all of us are God's children. And sometimes we do things that are unpredictable. And sometimes we do things that aren't right. This is graduation season right now, and many parents in our community have already watched their high school seniors graduate and get their diploma. Some are in the, in the days ahead. And they're preparing to send their kids out into the world for the very first time in a new way. And the parents have offered advice and lessons and critiques and lots of opinions, uh, along with a good hearty dose of support and love. And these young people now, they get to take their own journey. The parents have done everything that they can, and now they got to send them forward. And I imagine that that is terrifying. So if any of you are parents of a graduate or you have a graduate in your life, say a special prayer, because this is not an easy season. It's exciting for the teenagers, but potentially terrifying for the parents and grandparents. And it's not that parents are suddenly gone from their kids' lives as they send them off to college or off to do whatever they're going to do next year. It's just that the relationship is going to look different, and that child has to live things for themselves. And the parent can't continue to hold their hand for the rest of every day going forward. Now, my daughter's only two, uh, but I can already tell you I want to do everything that I can to protect her. I would wrap her in bubble wrap if I thought that that was the most effective way to prevent any scrapes or bruises or injuries to her. But I also know that as she grows up, there are more and more things that she'll need to do for herself. And you can see it on the playground. I'll take her in the beginning. She wouldn't uh, hardly even go up the steps without holding my hand. And now she'll climb up a ladder with no problem and no assistance from mom or dad. And it's a little bit scary every time I watch her climb that ladder, and yet I think to myself, she needs to do this. Every kid at some point needs to try things for themselves. And I watch, and I'm careful, like any parent out there, but there's only so much that I can control. 
When I heard the news about Robb Elementary, I didn't know what to think. 19 kids, elementary school students, two teachers, and it's right on the heels of Oxford as well, so I know for many families, particularly in our community, it's trauma on top of trauma. And there have been way too many school shootings. Even one would be too many, but you start naming them Parkland, Columbine, you quickly lose track and you forget some because there have been so many. And I'm a parent and I want to protect my kid, but there are people out there who do things that are beyond my control, that are beyond any of our control. And as I think about God as a parent, I know that God does not let any of these things happen. God does not want any of these things to happen, and yet we have free will. Each child out there gets to choose from themselves, and the world has cracks, things that are not yet as God would have them be. There are so many things that are beyond our full understanding, and yet I know that God weeps with us as we mourn those lives that have been lost. And God is angry with us at how those kids were failed and not protected in their school. And if I'm being honest, this was a really tough scripture to pick for this week. I don't know why in the heck I chose to keep it. A week in which 21 people lost their lives to gun violence, to read a passage where it seems like Jesus is going AWOL, it just doesn't make sense. Except that Jesus doesn't really leave. Jesus doesn't leave everyone alone. Jesus goes, but he promises the Holy Spirit, and that's what we celebrate on Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit comforts, and the Holy Spirit empowers, and the Holy Spirit inspires, and the Holy Spirit is what sets us on fire to follow God's calling and to change the world for the better. And Jesus sends us out into the world just like parents will be sending their graduates and says, okay, I've taught you, and you have learned from me, and now I trust you to go and make a positive impact in my name. I trust you to go and try to live your life the best that you know how. And the Holy Spirit does not magically restore the lives of those kids or those teachers. But the power of the Holy Spirit means that we are not helpless as we face the future, as we try to figure out what's next, as we try to pick up the pieces and say, okay, what does tomorrow look like? The power of the Holy Spirit means that we get to be part of the solution We can be part of protecting other schools and other kids. And we don't have to throw up our hands in despair because we've been given a powerful companion for the journey. And the Holy Spirit doesn't look exactly like Jesus and the Holy Spirit won't act exactly like Jesus. And yet Jesus has equipped us and God has empowered us and the Holy Spirit calls us then as God's children to be those agents of change in the world. And so... We look at the world and we look at these school shootings and what I would say is we're the ones who are empowered to advocate to end the sales of assault weapons to civilians. We are the ones who are empowered to advocate for better access to mental health care for everyone. We're the ones who are empowered to work to change the culture of violence that we have in this country. We're empowered to make a change and you may think of different changes than what I'm thinking of but we are the ones who are sent forward to make a difference so that a shooting like this does not happen ever again. We have a choice and we have power. We can make a change 
in the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. At the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus promises to be with us to the end of the age. So we're not alone, even if it may feel like that at times. God is with us, even in this. We are never left in isolation. Even in moments that seem incredibly bleak, we can lean into the promises that God has made to us. We can lean into the teaching that Jesus has offered to us. We can answer the call that God is giving to us to make the future different than the past has been. Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law from Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Well, do you remember what was written about Jesus? Do you remember those promises in the Hebrew Bible? The scripture said he came to heal. He came to judge those who didn't take action. He came to be a prince of peace. And even a humble, small place like Bethlehem could produce a savior. So even if we feel like there's nothing we can do, we're too small, we're just one person, with God all things are possible. The scripture, scripture promises that the lion will one day lie down with the lamb, that swords will be made into plows. And Jesus teaches the disciples to live out everything he's taught, everything he's come to represent. So as I read the story of the ascension, I think it's a story of empowerment. It's as if Jesus is saying, you know what? I have given you what you need. I have taught you everything that you need to know. I know you're scared. I know you're not sure exactly what to do. But it's time to take action. I've risen from the dead. I have conquered the worst thing that the world has to offer. And so it's time to tell the story. It's time to change the world. And so I ask you this morning, what changes do you want to see in the world? What do you wish was different? What action do you think should be taken? We serve a God that empowers us to do something about the wrongs that we see. And Jesus equips us, the Holy Spirit calls us, we're sent out into the world. What's one thing within your power to do that would make a positive change? Just one thing. Can you think of it? Maybe it's learning about advocacy. Maybe it's signing up to volunteer with Love in Action Week later this summer. Maybe it's donating to our food pantry. Maybe it's signing a petition. Maybe it's something else not on my list that's close to your heart. We're not people who have been left alone in this world. We're not people who have been abandoned. We're people who have been empowered. We're people who walk alongside an empowering and loving and grace-filled God, a parental figure who charges us to do better, to help people. So what are we going to do? to change the world in the days ahead? What are we going to do in some small way to make an impact, to make tomorrow better than yesterday? How are we going to advocate? How are we going to act? May we feel the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the days ahead, and may we take action in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org.